Welcome back to another episode of the Shift Drink Podcast. I'm Edward Assel, and we're still in quarantine, so we're still recording remotely, but it's been kind of cool. It's different. You know, over the last three plus years, all the interviews have been done in person, and this really uh, allows me to expand out and talk to people that it's difficult to get into the same room with, and today is no exception. So today I've got Joe Beatrice from Barrel Spirits in the house, or not in my house, but uh, in your home, in your home. Uh, how are you doing, Joe? I'm doing great, thanks. Um, it's well, all things considered. Right, I'm right, right. Yeah, we were just chatting for a few seconds there, and you know, I'm I'm happy to be at work. I'm exhausted, but I'm happy to still have work to do. Um, so the last several guests we've had have been for, in New York, and it's definitely a different situation than it is here in the Midwest. It is. Now you're based in Louisville. Yes, I live in Louisville now. It's a convenient place when you're making whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've been here since the beginning. Um, all of our operations have been down here. And, um, and then for the first couple of years, I was commuting from New York. And um, it was here, you know, two or three weeks on, one week off. And then now I'm here full time. We love it. We're all down here. Yeah, I do love that city. Well, you know, let's jump right in. So you are the founder and proprietor of Barrel Spirits, some of my favorite stuff. In fact, I've got one of your batch one of the rum in my hand. Um, I'm a big rum geek, so we've got stacks and stacks, but I, I nabbed it as soon as it hit the market in Indiana. Um, but anyhow, tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got into the business, you know, um, doing what you do, because you did not start out in, in the liquor business, if I am correct. That's correct. Um, most of my career was in um, uh, initially advertising, but for the most part in digital marketing and web application development. Um, I got in early. I was part of the Silicon Alley movement in New York. And um, and along the way, I always had a spirits vertical. Um, we did a lot of work with um, Hugh Blaine, UDV, Diageo, worked with Quero for many years. And it was when I came to Kentucky, the first time that I fell in love with Kentucky. I just, it was just, it just spoke to me. And so it took a while to get back here, but I'm here. Um, and about uh, five or six years ago, before right when we started this company, I, I had this moment where I was um, done doing what I was doing. I was tired of writing PowerPoint presentations, and, <laughs> um, and I wanted to actually. That's easy do to make happen. Something. Like after the third presentation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was getting a little. It was getting. It was tiring. So um, I had this moment. My wife and I were actually at a distillery, and um, and I thought I made beer my whole life um, for myself. And I thought I thought for a few minutes about that. And so I um, we had this moment at this distillery where where I thought this is what I want to do. I like to do this. And so we went home and took about a week to figure out that I didn't want to build a distillery, mm, but right. I wanted to have a spirits brand. Um, and then I spent a year getting everything together, uh, figuring out how to position the company, um, making, reacquainting old contacts, uh, designing uh, our product mix and the core attributes of our product, and then went to market, went to town. And that was, that's it. Yeah, and that's it's not it. an old company. Um, you've been, what you say, six years, I think is, am yeah, I right? 2014 was our first, we started selling our first product. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I so guess I must've got pretty, pretty early on then. And, but you've quickly gained a, 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 a rabid following. Um, it, it was not hard to find a little background on you because every bourbon publication, every whiskey publication, every podcast at some point has invited you on. And that's a, a I mean, in pretty short order, you, you know, you've kind of carved that name out and I, I, how do you go from. You know, advertising guy in New York to 
you know, well-respected independent bottler in Louisville, Kentucky. Well, you know, one of the things that I didn't realize, um, as I love to cook, I have loved to cook my whole life. And made- All right. So yep. I'm going to pause you one second. This yep. just as an aside, do you write the tasting notes on your website? <laughs> because to them. Yeah. it has to be from a chef because <laughs> as I read the tasting notes every time I'm like, this is a chef is writing this, you know, everything is just too on point, but uh, kind of esoteric descriptions occasionally. <laughs> so a group of us, there are three or four of us that write them and we go back and forth on it. But yeah, I mean, now we, we know why. <laughs> yeah. We wanted to be as evocative as possible. We wanted it to really, we wanted to be able to, 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 to have people, um, associate the flavor as much you can. F- flavor and smell and taste associated associated with memory. That the more we could do to kind of create that that moment, um, we we were trying to communicate what the flavor would be like. Would you expect? So you're saying uh, you were interested in food and, and and as a chef. I mean that that makes sense. That you know again you know with the cantalay descriptions you know. <laughs> so what? Yeah. So what happened? What, uh, what for me was, I didn't realize. I thought I was just being difficult all the time. But I really, I really was able to to identify flavors, and and so that's when I started blending. I started really, really enjoying the different what I was getting when I was putting things together. Um, and then early on, um, after uh, it was our second batch, I met Trip Simpson, and uh, Trip, uh, I was doing some con- early on. We did some con- we were doing contract bottling, and Trip was uh, sort of a consultant to this to the distillery that was doing bottling and we hit it off and we just really, we saw the world the same way in terms of flavors. And, and it's really, it's really fascinating. Even now when we taste it's, it's, there's a, we have a, a method and there are things that he faults, he gets think faults I get. And there are things that the commonality that we really like. And so it's just a natural sort of very easy process. I drink water, he drinks Mountain Dew, and then we taste. <laughs> there you go. I mean, I find that that's really the best way to work. I mean, people often ask us, you know, about cocktail, you know, uh, coming up with cocktails at, at our tiki place. And, you know, Chris and I are always, it's great when nobody disagrees, you know, there might be a, hey, maybe a little bit of this, a little bit less of that. But other than that, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it makes for a really great working relationship. And then what comes out on the end product is highly sought after barrels, you know, or um, bottles. Um, but yeah, it's the same thing with you, right? So uh, Barrel Spirits, you have like released some of these really, really, really incredible um, kind of one-offs um, across the board. And I think that, you know, especially you've started seeing that more recently with the bourbon craze. I don't follow the bourbon craze and the whiskey craze as much as I do rum. And we've seen that explode <laughs> wide open in the last, you know, five, six years. And you know, if you can even get your hands on a four square when it gets released, you know, good luck. And, yep. you know, and it's anything limited just drives that that craze, you know, through the ceiling. It, it's hard to get anything. Um, was that, you know, did you take that into consideration when you started thinking about these limited bottlings? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, so as I was mentioning, when we were when I was thinking about what the company was going to be, how it was going to be formed, um, there were some core tenants that that we adhere to even now and and that is that every, everything we do is cast strength i tasted whiskey from a barrel couldn't believe anybody would drink it any other way it's just it's right. an amazing an amazing experience limited release i wanted everything to be to be to be different and every batch intentionally different and the part of the reason for that was um 
in my in the world that I came from, I spent a lot of time building social media net platforms and and a lot of online marketing and and I really understood the role of the influencer in the marketplace and and the the key to that is is that people always want to know what's new. They want the next new thing. And so I I thought that that um, there are some amazing whiskeys out there, amazing spirits that that are that are go to the constant. I wanted to do it right. the opposite way. I wanted to always be creating something new and different. Part of that was consumer driven and part of it is is also I know the difficulty of trying to make the same thing over and over again. Right. I mean, early on I met Jim Cook from Boston Beer. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean early on in my career. And and um we went and he uh we talked about beer and he gave he gave me some ingredients. He said, you know, go try to make this at home. And he said, you'll never be able to replicate this thing. And here's here's the recipe. And I'm like, well, that can't be that hard. So uh, for the next 20 years, I'm telling you, I meticulously made notes and temperatures and, and pitch yeast at the right, the same temperature and never could I replicate the same thing. And so I, I knew early on that that kind of expertise is just something from a manufacturing perspective that I didn't want to do. I wanted to make it different. I wanted to be be unique all the time. That's interesting so because those- you did get into craft at a time that a lot of people, we weren't even calling it craft back then, right? Like you've been homebrewing for a really long time. I was deep into, I guess, what we called microbrews, you know, back in the early to mid 90s, um, mm-hmm. you know, when you could get your hands on maybe Sierra Nevada and, and, and a handful of other ones. And uh, the guy that I worked for, he brewed a lot of clones and that kind of got us into geeking out about that kind of stuff. And um, like you said, I mean, you know, he always was like, nobody ever better talk shit about Anheuser-Busch. They make the same beer the same way for decades and decades and decades. Um, but, you know, you said you were, you know, in a different industry, but all the while while you were doing that. And it's not just when you're a home brewer. I know of no home brewers that put their toe in the water, <laughs> you know, within a, <laughs> within a year, you've got everything you've got, you know, uh, you're your mills and you have all your grains and everything it ends up taking over your life. Um, and so, you know, that kind of structure I would think would help, you know, as far as leading into that business side of it and understanding kind of the logistics and supply chain. It absolutely did. Knowing what you want to do and what you don't want to do are both very important. And I knew what I didn't want to do. And, and so that translated into an environment that is highly creative. Um, we started out in bourbon. We've expanded into whiskey, rum, rye, and you know within that, we have um, our Infinite Barrel project, which is a whiskey that we started with. A, we blended. It was over two years ago now. Uh, we started out with about 100 barrels of mature whiskey from around the world, blended up what we liked, and then we've done 13 bottlings. And every time we bottle, we replace that whiskey with more whiskey, and so that it's constant volume, but it's always evolving. So that's a really fun project. We have a product called the Dovetail Whiskey, which is which is um, an American whiskey. It's a combination of Indiana whiskey and Tennessee bourbon that we finished in Dunn Vineyards Cabernet barrels, um, rum casks, and um, and some late vintage port pipes. And so that's been a hugely popular product of ours, our, our Dovetail. Um, but probably what you want to hear a little bit about is the rum evolution and then our private release rums and private release whiskey. Oh, sure. All of the above, because I, across the board, and I know that you um, have said, you know, in, in several interviews that, you know, the people that are coming to you aren't necessarily coming for your rum. You know, they're coming, they're t- typically, 
I think the first time I heard you say it, I was a little <laughs> like, what? <laughs> but because I was, it was out of context. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you're saying it's, you know, the, your high-end rum drinkers were really just high-end whiskey drinkers that were, you know, putting their toe into the water, experimenting it to rum. But in your case, that's exactly, you know, where your consumer is because you know where your strength is. You're getting, you're getting the high-end whiskey drinkers. That's why you're coming to Barrel. Uh, and you've just, you've added the rums into the portfolio. And there's some, there's some really cool, interesting ones. Um, like I said, and it does leave me, so you're, batch 01 and I wanted to address this with your whiskeys as well so you're working with dozens and dozens and dozens of distilleries plus yourself last count about 65 different suppliers we work with yeah it's it's really it's getting really complicated um but it's it's really it's really exciting so we get we get that the world is our pantry we get to try lots of lots and lots of different products all the time um and but just you made a really good point to clarify um our core our core consumer our core customer is is a whiskey and bourbon drinker and you the crossover what i was really excited about is that crossover because because people who drink really good in esoteric rums also really like whiskey for the most part. So mm -hmm. it's an interesting, it's an interesting intersection of people. And we've developed a trust with our customer by what we put in the bottle is, is something that we really love and it won't go in there if it doesn't. I mean, it's, you know, like if you think about our, our blending process, we might have a dozen simultaneous projects going on and some can be relatively fast and some can take months and some will start and then put aside and come back to a while but uh, later but whatever it is that we end up with is something that we personally all really really like so and when you're that's, well, when you're putting together a project uh, is that a concept first or is it something that you were inspired for i mean if you, now you're up to the point where you're working with you know 60 plus distilleries obviously in the beginning it probably didn't launch out that that big but you know as you taste through, is the, does the inspiration come from products that they're making or does the inspiration come <laughs> from sitting around a table and saying, you know what we are missing or what would be cool if somebody bottled, you know, I mean, which, which it, way does that go or both? both. It's, it's actually both. So we do, we do things. Um, we have quarterly blue sky meetings where we, we just, we talk about what's going on. We talk about what we might like to taste and what we like to do. And then we do, we test hundreds of different things on an ongoing basis. So, so some of it is based on flavors that we like and that we might want to put together that are interesting. And other ones are, are done with intent from, we like what's happening with this whiskey. And then what can we do to complement it with different blends? And then that starts a whole dialogue. Other times, um, and I, I love the story, um, you're drinking rum batch, uh, batch one. That's, and what always it's a special rum and uh it is for several reasons <laughs> and it'll never happen again right <laughs> it will so. never happen again and but we reserved we reserved a portion of those barrels um and and because we thought it was so just text me the address where they're being stored <laughs> well we already, we already used we, so that what we did is we the ones that we well we did we do have a few but we um we created the tale of two islands from those barrels yes. and and that was that to me was still remains one of the most fun things we did um we knew that the rum was really special and we 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 got together at one of our meetings and said what are the what are the 20 most crazy things that we can we could finish this in because it's it's just it has so much going on and we and we went through 
all these different combinations. And the one that stood out, and it, and I would never have picked this from the beginning. I never would have thought that this was the right one, but it, they were Isla casks. And it was just, it just worked. It just, it just, that's yeah. how we got the When it first was released, my general manager, Chris, uh, now business partner, um, had called me and he said, hey, we got that new barrel rum in, uh, come over and try this. And I looked at the label, I'm like, I don't know, man. <laughs> I'm like, it's got Isla cask in there, I don't know, you know? Um, but yeah, it did work. Um, and yeah, on paper, it doesn't sound like it's going to. Um, that's one of those things, I guess, comes with experience and just being open-minded and tasting. Yeah, and that's that's exactly how it evolved. Um, um, the well, other, you touched on yep. that trust issue, you know, um, and so, that's really important in both the worlds that you're putting your foot into with and, and American whiskey and rum. Um, I think rum because it's, it's certainly not new, but like it's, we're just now starting to get kind of exposure out there to drinkers that are like trying it out and something other than, you know, a, a liqueur that's called a rum on the label. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, obviously bourbon drinkers are fanatical, <laughs> you know, and so you've, you've got to uh, kind of ingratiate yourself with the masses by doing quality work and making a quality product and that that's a tough line to tow while also still trying to innovate um you know and, and i guess maybe innovation isn't the word but trying different things like you said you let's the 28 craziest ideas we could do or you know ways to do it and, and that isla cask would be one that would be on the top 20 um but again like everybody could have hated you for it that absolutely didn't happen you know <laughs> well Hopefully, that, well, hopefully that doesn't happen. Um, <laughs> right. And maybe there's more of an opportunity um, the, to to find something you don't like. I guess I don't know. Um, um, we're um, we have a series. Just dump a bunch of sugar in. <laughs> don't worry, they'll jump on you. <laughs> you never have to worry about that. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's it's as, as an aside. Um, we produce some hand sanitizer, so we um, that we would we donated and. When we when we got um, when we got the GNS, we had to it was uh, ninety five percent alcohol, mm -hmm. so we had to dilute it down to one hundred eighty proof, um, and we realized we don't have any water because we don't we don't oh right yeah everything's cast strength anything. so we had to we had to track down water and uh, to find water to put in to put it put it in and, and dilute it which we we did. So the end of the story is we found water, we diluted it down, produced some sanitizer. And well, yeah, the first two weeks of uh, lockdown when everybody kind of hoarded all of the sanitizer everywhere and before the local distilleries got up and running and kind of switched gears, um, I was lucky that, you know, I pay attention to <laughs> what's going on around me at work. And yeah, I bought uh, several cases of rum fire and that's what we sanitized the whole restaurant <laughs> with. And so it was just this massive, funky hogo, you know, rotten banana pineapple pit in the like front of the restaurant while we were doing carry out because, you know, it was 63% alcohol. We're like, no, everybody else was chasing down rubbing alcohol. We're like, no, 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 we'll take the rum. <laughs> you and need, need and a little spray in your great. mouth after. <laughs> And it's a great product on top of everything else. You yeah. Know, it's, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. And uh, so this sort of everything evolved um, with with the uh, with the different things that we're trying into. Um, we started with our private release rums last year. We did. Um, we took 20 barrels of rum that we blended and then finished them in different 
with 20 different finishes. And it was so, we, we tried it and it was so successful. We did another set of 24 barrels and, um, and people seem to respond to that. And so then we expanded that into whiskey. We have a Kentucky whiskey that, um, that was really the perfect, um, catalyst for using as to, to use and to finish. And we did with that, we did 24 different versions and then another 48 different versions of it, uh, tw- 24 times two of each of those. So we ended up with, we have a lot of barrels all over the place that are in various stages of finish. Well, that's, that leads into exactly what I, I was curious about is, you know, so you've grown incredibly over the last six years, but still quite small, a very small team and very small, um, you know, production. So how, but it has been scaling up rapidly. You know, how do you, how do you scale up when you're talking about such small one-off projects um, and then going, to, you know, looking down the road 10 years? Uh, because, you know, it's hard to maintain that growth while maintaining that quality um, where you've got your own personal thumbprint on every bottle. Not literally, folks. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. Somebody's for handwriting is on the bottle. Did, but not, not lately, but for a long time. <laughs> I did. Well, you know, what, what's, we do it with, it is a combination um, of how we do it. So if you think about our batch products, um, we just, we, this uh, in the fall, we installed two 6,000 gallon blending tanks. We have the capacity to blend extremely large batches of bourbon and whiskey, rye, rum, whatever we want to do. Um, and so our core product, like our, 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 we just, we're blending bourbon batch 25 as we speak. Um, we can make it as large as we want. And because of the way we design the tanks, there's a lot of proprietary uh, technique built into, engineered into it. We can, we can quickly figure out what we need to do to evolve it or to uh, adopt it. Like the, our agitators are very large, very slow moving ones, but we'll turn over the entire contents of the tank in 20 minutes. So, so we get to, you know, uh, every day we can do a couple of different tests to see how things are going and, and what we want, how we want to change it. So on one extreme week, we have the capacity to do 6,000 case roughly, um, you know, at, at a time, anytime that we want. And what we, what we do actually is let me take a step back and talk about our blending process. Yeah. So when we, let's just stay with a batch of bourbon, for example, um, it could start with some set of barrels is speaking to us and we say, we want to, we want to highlight or emphasize what this is. Or other times we go, um, you know, we like the way these two these two distilleries products go together, and we want to run with that. Um, or, or sometimes it is uh, it is um, let's see, let's try a whole bunch of different mash bills, different ages, and and see where it takes us. So depending upon on you know what we're doing, we could do hundred or two hundred different combinations of samples. So we take barrels, we group them by type. Um, whether it, whether the type is by mash bill or by age or by characteristics, which is more often the case, or where they're wrecked, we have all these different combinations we put together, which, by the way, is one of the reasons that we, we can't publish really our, the mash bill anymore because it, it becomes right. a, an arithmetic problem of, you know, 10 barrels of, of 70 percent. 50 barrels of 21%. And in an effort to be as transparent as we can, um, we are. I mean, we, we try to be and we are. And, um, and you know, and there are sometimes we have NDAs with different distilleries. So, you know, it's... Right. But, 
Yeah, I was going to ask about that because there's a lot of, oftentimes, you know, these um, distilleries don't want their name. And, and in some cases, it's legislated that you can't use those um, distillery names or country names. Um, I, I, I mean, obviously, there's been a lot of people getting step in it, you know, with Scotland in the past, you know, when they get blends from Scotland. So it's like, this is blended with scotch. Like, eh. Take it off the label. Although the T- TTB doesn't seem to give a shit about what you put on the label. So <laughs> well, it's a different story. Know, I don't know. The, our experience. They, are they tough on you? Yeah. Well, it's also because, you know, we're doing things that, that haven't been done before. And right. so, you know, like the, the story I tell a lot is the dovetail story, which is, which is technically it's been declassified into the sealed spirit specialty, but it is 100% whiskey. So we're in the same category as bubblegum, right? Uh, you know, vodka. Mm-hmm. Um, but and we have to the way we use the word whiskey has to be qualified. So it, it's whiskey finished in right. Don Vineyards Cabernet barrels. So that's the only way that we can you know technically talk about use the word whiskey in it. We I guess that's what I was uh, referring to is just kind of the protection of the words that have a particular meaning. You know, bourbon. You know, everybody gets twisted up if you use bourbon in a, in a product that's not. But, you know, yeah, like you said, you can use some bubblegum flavored fireball whiskey, you know, and, and it, it's in the same category as, as some of the products you're doing because we haven't gotten to a point where we're kind of protecting that intellectual property. Nor are and we really know, very good about doing it for other countries either. But uh. Well, the TTB is their part of their objective you know, it's a hard job because there's so oh, yeah. there's so many ca- classifications and categories. They're trying to ensure truth in labeling. I mean, that's so. Um, so they've created the structure and these rules. And what was what was maddening about this with the DSS was you can't have an age statement in a DSS spirit. So we have we had 11 and 10 year old whiskeys in there that we can't talk about. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And that sucks. I mean, especially from your standpoint, right? Like the end user or the end user, the, the, the drinker, the consumer may not necessarily care, but it certainly does for a lot of people. It does matter to a lot of people. And for you, that allows you to put a, a larger price tag on it to be able to pay for what the hell you've done and purchased and bottled. And yeah, that's, that, that's where it gets a little bit, I guess, disappointing that, you know, those sorts of regulations exist and, and they end up hurting the producer rather than, than helping. But, you know, on the other hand, it protects a lot. I mean, it, it definitely – there's definitely a, a method to what they're doing. And especially when it comes to bourbon, you know, we're, we're, we're extremely precise. If you look at our batches, it, it says – and the later ones are – I can't remember what number we, that we started doing on it. Um, it used to say bourbon, and but everything is a straight bourbon. Everything we do is a straight bourbon whiskey. And then um, – and then there was maybe 10 or 12 batches ago, they wanted us, because they're straight bourbon whiskeys, um, we couldn't just call it straight bourbon. It's a blend of straight bourbon whiskeys. So we're really precise on our label that what we have is a blend of straight bourbon whiskeys. So, uh, and the straight bourbon whiskeys are from multiple states. So that's why it's not just a straight whiskey. It's a blend of straight bourbon whiskeys. And folks and listening know, to the show should take a note of that because – and if you're confused about like some of the, the terminologies, um, 
Bernie Lebworth was on the show before. He broke it down very, very easy if, if you need to know the kind of age statements and classifications. But when we're talking about what you're doing um, with the kind of truth and labeling, and this, it, you're really setting an example um, for a lot of, of producers or independent bottlers out there. Um, it was what first drew me to your product was that there was so much information on the label that told me exactly what I was going to buy, and I knew that I would enjoy it before I knew who distilled the juice in the bottle. <laughs> you know, And so you know, it, it's... That's, again, what helps to ingratiate yourself to enthusiasts and fanatics if they know what they're going to buy and know that they are very likely to have a quality product regardless of whether they enjoy it or not, you know. Um, and, and that's yep. the way you you win our hearts. <laughs> well, thank you very much. And I understand. I And, you know, we appreciate the fact that people are keeping an eye on things. But in, And, you know, we are – we want to be as – exact and transparent as we possibly can be that that's our goal and and it's really i mean there was i'm trying to remember there was something that somebody that was that we had the words i, I can't remember the example but but somebody pointed out to us and then we fixed it you know it was and then we try to do also is we try to provide more information on our website so there's only so much room on that label right and that's when that's why we try to have people go to our website you can read all the tasting notes and see what we, the story behind the product we usually try to do a, a quick abstract on on what it is that's in that bottle what we were what we blended together so or what 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 the what the goal of the product was both of the, all that's usually in there so do you find that you the people that are are consuming your your booze and buying them at least on the kind of retail end of it are they the kind of fanatics, the people that are hunting down the rare and esoteric, esoteric bottles? Or are they kind of these burgeoning uh, bourbon drinkers that are kind of get, just getting into it, learning a little bit about the terminology and looking for some something special, but yet still quite affordable? Um, or, you know, are you trying to appeal to to the, the, the whiskey geek or are you kind of reach, casting, casting a wider net? That's a good question. Um, certainly our core... Our, our core audience is are people who understand whiskey. That's where we began, but it's been a it's been a really interesting process. I mean, we 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 have the the truth is we have a wide range of people. And we have everybody um, on here um, as as part of our um, as part of our audience. Um, over the last three or four years, we found that really broadening out into more of a mainstream, a mainstream, um, drinker. And we, one of the things that we did, which is that we, we, our focus was really off premise more than on premise. That was my next question. Right. So yeah. And whiskey events. And so, and so it really, what happened was, um, when I first started selling the product, I opened the first hundred accounts. I drove in and I brought it in and I said, Please taste this. They tasted it and they liked it, and for the most part. And so, and so, the, the lesson there: if you if you do it enough times, you realize that if you get people to taste your product and they like it, they'll buy it. Right. So that that's what drove a lot of our strategy. Um, we also we also relied a lot on third party endorsements. Um, mm -hmm. We only enter the product into blind competitions. I, I'm not interested in the beauty contests. I, I, I really want the honest feedback of what of what people think about it. Um, and so that's we've been really fortunate with that. We've done we've we've done really well in a lot of blind competitions. Um, and when people like it, you know, um, we're happy when they write about it. But we never ask anybody. We, we don't do any pre-selling. We, we, I don't even send a description of what it is. We like to just send the product mm -hmm. to the people that are trying it, tasting it, and let them form their own opinions. We don't we don't publish tasting notes before the fact, anything, anything like that. Yeah, it's you're certainly at a, at a size where it's 
impossible for you to roll in and sponsor an event like Diageo can. Um, I know I've had a couple guests on the show that are bottlers, and they're just like, we we can't sponsor tiki events. We can't sponsor a rum fest, you know? Like, I do everything myself. I can't do that. And, you know, so it does get a little bit tricky. And when you, when you do, like, when you can't afford to do that, you really do need to kind of appeal to the fanatics and, and people that are going to be following your product. And you have laid a ton of products out there. So I've, again, I've been watching your story kind of since the first product started to come available because we put your whiskey on the shelf immediately as well um, at my restaurant, Black Market. And so um, as things have grown, you know, there's each batch numbers coming out. And so, you know, as you mentioned before, and you've talked about it many times, um, you've alluded to it on the show as well, but you know, each, each bottling is gonna be different. Each cask is different. Um, you're not trying for the exact same product. Would you, what you're reaching for is just, you know, consistency of quality that's right that's absolutely right so as as what is it that like i guess this is a really hard question to answer and i know before i ask it <laughs> but i mean but when you're at, when you're tasting through your cast we're like what is it that, that you're looking for to for it to stand out to jump out of you that says this is the one this is going in a bottle this is, i'm putting my name on this because i mean you're you said you're tasting hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of samples you know, I, your palate can get fatigued really quickly, you know, mm -hmm. if you're tasting so often. And so it it almost kind of um, increases the need for that thing that jumps out to be really, really prominent. Uh, is there something in particular that you're looking for or maybe it's a, trip? It's a, it's a really good question. Yeah, it's a, And it's really interesting because because we also have Nick, we hired Nick Christensen um, um, to run our single barrel program. And it's really, it's really amazing when you find people with like palates and, and abilities when it comes to tasting things. And I, and I, I say this, um, it, to me, the process is very binary. I, it, it takes me one second to taste a, a barrel and say, yes, no, or, or yes, that's a single barrel or, Yes, this is this is one that should go into a batch into that group, or this one needs to be. This one is going to be a filler. I mean, it's it's a solid bourbon. Mm -hmm. Not there's no characteristic that stands out, um, but it will you know we'll be able to blend we'll be able to blend that into the larger the larger group. Right. So we and with the single barrels, it's. I remember when I was. Um, um, we used to store a lot of barrels out of Castle and Key, and um, and early on, I made friends with, separately with, with Drew Kelsby, and I said to him, I said, "How do you pick single barrels?" I said, "Because you know, so many." And he said, Just "Figure out how many you want, start tasting, and then when you got that number, stop." And I'm like, "Well, there you go. <laughs> that, that, that's a that's good advice." And I, that's what we do. Then we taste, wow. we taste all the barrels, and and it really is, um, and you know, and we do a lot of barrel picks, a lot of barrel selections with people, and and you know, it's it's a very you know, it's it's a it can be a very involved process where people sort through it and figure it out. But for us, it's just it's a little bit different. We just get to the answer faster, I guess. Um, I mean, not not that not when you spend more time with the whiskey, obviously, you get, a lot more gets revealed, and and we we do that is once we've decided on something. But the initial cut is generally very fast. It's very quick. Well, you've you've talked about it a couple of times over the last um, you know forty minutes or so that we've been chatting here. But you know, as American whiskeys. You know, it's the category is growing uh, in, in such a way that I think people ha aren't necessarily plugged into it yet. And they don't really can't see um, where that path is leading. And so, you know, it's taking a handful of producers and bottlers to kind of, I guess, educate us on what what is American whiskey? What is, <laughs> you know, that we're looking at, you know, rye, I mean, what, 20 years ago, you couldn't even get it. So I mean, now it's got this kind of boom a little bit. And so as 
things are changing. You know, bourbon has just been talked about and talked about and talked about and talked about over the last decade to the point where you can't afford anything any longer. <laughs> but now you're starting to see uh, like a lot of people like kind of making a foray into American whiskeys um, that are really fantastic. So like, what do you see as kind of the path for American whiskey f from here on out? I, it's really an exciting category. So while the core of our business and, and, and the core of our products are bourbon, um, we've been, we started with a barrel whiskey early on and then <clears throat> have been expanding out. We, last summer we released, um, the barrel Amer American vatted malt project. Mm -hmm. And that, that is, um, that is an American a product of a blend of American single malts from about eight different producers in the United States. We have, we, we make some incredible single malt products in this country. Um, and you know, that was a little bit surprising to me when I first learned about that. And, and it was a lot more recent than I'd like to admit. And so like, I mean, that's that in itself, I think is like part of the story that, that, that people need to understand of what's happening out there. Um, that's we've really been largely unplugged from. Yeah. And one of the things back to the TTB, there is no single malt category. So the classification of, of it is whiskey. Right. And, um, and they, malt whiskey is a classification, but malt whiskey has to be put into new, uh, cooperage and malt whiskey doesn't necessarily always love new cooperage. Malt whiskey also likes used cooperage. Because it just tampers down the 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 the, um, the oak flavor a little bit, um, and so and so that's one of the, the things that they're that the producers are really working through. That is to come up with a classification and a standard so that that there is a category for American single malt. So that's just that's one of the <clears throat> types of whiskeys. It's really exciting. It's really exciting because it is actually a very wide open category. Right. We do a lot of blended whiskeys. So blended whiskeys. Or kind of this really bizarre category um, from the 60s where a blended whiskey was a whiskey made up of grain neutral spirits and maybe 10 or 20 or 30 percent of some kind of a of a of a grain base of a grain like a, like a, a rye or a, or a, a rye or a corn so it was you know in a lot of Canadian whiskey not the ones we use but the, but a lot of Canadian whiskey has a lot of filler in it too that you can't have it back Think, talking from the 60s so the blended whiskey category needs a little bit of, of work too in terms of of um i think classification because because a blend of whiskeys is different from a blended whiskeys but we're in the blended whiskey category right uh, so uh, again it's it's a one of those labeling things but we try to be as transparent as we possibly can on well those. you know I, that terminology is something that always um i think gets a bad rap you know um Again, coming from the rum world, where you know we talk about some of the, some of the most legendary producers are are you know blending houses, um, or um, you know now you're seeing a lot more independent bottlers, and I think that there's kind of been this unfair connotation, you know, that blending is like this big terrible thing, and you know it's I think it starts off with anybody's kind of uh, connoisseurship, you know, you 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 immediately like I only drink red wine or I only drink scotch whiskey <laughs> I only drink single malts I won't drink a blended scotch and you know and as you kind of educate your palate a little bit more and get further down the rabbit hole you find that some of the most interesting things are being done and with products that you've shunned in the past yeah it's uh it's sad if you want to live in such a 
<laughs> disciplined right. world. The, 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 there's so many great things. And in, in any category, there's there's incredible things to taste in, 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 any, in anything. So, you know, I would say be open to trying anything. I mean, we are. We, I mean, you wouldn't believe some of the strange things that, that, that we've gotten. Um, <laughs> yeah. That uh, you are, know, are you but, at liberty to discuss any of them? <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> boy, I had something. Oh man, what was that? I tried a rum in Panama that was sitting at at, at uh, this at a at a blender's office at a, on a desk, and it was it was atrocious. It was a rum from Southeast Asia, and we're using that word rum pretty pretty loosely. <laughs> it's it's so true. I you know. Um, we we turn down far more things than we than we buy. I mean, one because there's a finite budget, but also right. also there's there there are a lot of bad spirits being produced, right. and you know it just it's just a, 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 a sad reality. Not everything is good, and um, you know rums are all over the place. I mean, you know it's it's not that it's and it it isn't that it's um, that it can be whatever it is. There are there. You, you know far better than I do that there are strict standards in different countries, right. but they're just very different. And they may not be what your palate wants, or you may, not have, you may not want that sugar, but it's allowable by that country. Well, you know, we can circle that back to where we started with you saying you, did, you started out by knowing that you did not want to be a distiller. You know, it's that, that barrier to entry has, has been weakened so substantially with, you know, the um, kind of... Uh, weakening or uh, decriminalization of laws across the country, which makes it easier to get a distiller's license. But with that has come a lot of noise. You know, there's just a really, there's just a ton of shitty products out there and it makes it harder to find the, you know, the, the ones that, that speak to you. And so I honestly, I, I really admire the way you've done it because you did what I would do. You know, I wouldn't have the patience to sit and take 25 years to become a great distiller you know i would want to work with the best people that i could possibly work with right off the bat and uh and again i think that speaks to to your product uh, um very well because you know in six years you've now got 60 plus distilleries you're working with around the world and they're you know some of the best even though they don't want to always let you put their name on the bottle um <laughs> you know but you know it, it it speaks for itself for sure so what does the future hold for barrel. I mean, you know, we talked about scalability, but um, how how far does the rabbit hole go? <laughs> well, I think it's. I don't see any real end in sight. We are, you know, we we. Well, have, that's good <laughs> because yeah. there's an end in sight for a lot of us these days. <laughs> that's not funny at all, but uh, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, our reality. You got to laugh about it now because what else can you do? <laughs> it is it is unfortunate, and you know we we are fortunate in that in that our business is good and solid and growing, and um, and I just see I see us just we're we're continuing to do what we do, expand the the breadth of products, and go deeper into the ones we have. Um, we just in our production facility now we could um, without doing any more capital improvements we could we could do five times the volume that we're doing. So wow. we're so we did that intentionally um, in terms of the way that we built things so that that we we have the capacity to just expand as much as we need for now. You know we have we have years and years we we have more. Drinking a barrel of whiskey is ambitious, and we have we have a lot of barrels that last as many years at this point, um, even at even at our you know nice growth projections. So, we're just going to do what we do, um, keep producing the best product we can, 
um, working with the best people that we, you know, we have. You're, you mentioned earlier, it's a small team. We are a very small team of highly dedicated, motivated people who love what they do and bring a lot to the table. Um, and so we're just going to keep doing that. So because your team is so small, I know that it can sometimes be harder to make it into some markets. And I inevitably always get asked where people can find your products. Um, mm-hmm. So, I, you know, online, I mean, how many states are you available? Are you in all 50 states at the moment? We're in about 45. Okay. Uh, still have a couple that we're not in. And those are, some of them are just, the, the, we're chipping away at some of the, the last few control states. Mm, they're just, yeah. they're just so, um, uh, they're so idiosyncratic that you just have to make sure that you have it set, everything set up properly. Um, and so we're doing that. On our website, you can, there's buy now, so you can buy online. Oh, great. We, also, we have store locators on there um, that is, that, you know, we, we rely on reporting data that gets integrated in um, and, you um, you know, we it probably has eighty percent, eighty five percent of the of the places where you could purchase our product in there through our store locator. So that that's we've been we've been trying to maintain that from the beginning because we thought it was important for people to know where to find our product. Um, but you know, with things opening up online, that makes it a little bit a little bit easier as well. And I think that's better for the business in general. And make it brings the spirit closer to people. Um, we work strongly with our retailers. Um, um, you know, we have great relationships with with the major ones, and um, and we try to be we try to be in. <clears throat> we try to have a, a, a wide selection of our products available, SKUs in any of the major retailers we're in. So we're 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 working it. I prefer to buy mine in person in Louisville. <laughs> You're not too far away. I missed my spring in Louisville this year because everything's been closed down. So I usually love to come down there right when the leaves start. Uh, popping on all the all the flowers such a beautiful part of the country i mean people that haven't been to kentucky are really missing out you know it's we're beautiful i'm spoiled being so close you know i'm not i'm not as close as you are to, but uh yeah it's just it's pretty straight it really is there's more in the summertime i there are more shades of green here than i knew existed <laughs> that's <laughs> totally true i think the first time i drove down they just i mean it's it's actually like literally everything you imagine it to be you know, there's only I've only been to a, to a few places in the world that you kind of have this mental image in your head, and when you get there, it's exactly that, um, in, in the best possible way. <laughs> Not quite the Hatfield, Hatfield McCoy's section, but you know, like just you, the greens that you drive through bourbon country and you see, you know, rick houses and racehorses and green, and it's it's just it's really really beautiful and open and um, such friendly. Um, people living there too. Louisville is one of my favorite cities. I think it's really highly underrated uh, as a town to visit as well. Um, and mm-hmm. you're definitely spoiled when it comes to like going into whiskey bars because you can go into any like regular dive bar and there's like 75 like one-off bottlings <laughs> that were done just for them. Is there any secret spot that we need to find in Louisville that's like got some barrel stuff that no one else has their hands on? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Right. All right. We'll take that as an answer. <laughs> All right. Well, Joe, I really appreciate you coming on the show. I know you took some time off of work today just to come onto the show. Um, you know, we all yeah. hope that um, we come visit. We can come visit you soon and, and, and see you in person. And until the meantime, we're certainly going to be drinking barrel and we appreciate the uh, transparency and labeling and all that you do for the for bourbon and rum and um Godspeed, man. You know, like I said, this is a tough time for everybody. But just uh, last week was the first time we did takeout. Um, I've been, oh, I've been wow. cooking. Yeah. And we've been cooking for seven people. So that's. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's been rough for us. I mean, because, you know, it's we have to balance this 
we have to toe the line between being extremely careful and cautious and yet still trying to not go bankrupt. And so, you know, we have completely locked down our dining room. My chef is 72 years old. Um, and so, and her husband's 62 and so, and we do, we do quite a bit of volume. And so we've had to just make sure that nobody's coming in the building whatsoever. I mean, and it's, it's took a little bit of a, it was a little bit of learning curve, but we got it accomplished. But, you know, now that we're looking down the road to like, you know, reopening and it's, we're no safer now than we were a month and a half ago. Um, and we, you know, we're in a trendy neighborhood. So every time the temperature goes to 70 degrees, everybody's out hanging out on bicycles. There's no separation whatsoever. Um, and so it's made us a little nervous. And I think that we're probably going to keep our doors closed and just do um, curbside. I don't know, probably for the summer. At well, least. you know, the other, I'll tell you what, what um, Butchertown, what we went through, we did take on Saturday at Butchertown, and they actually, I, I like the way they did it. They just opened, you know, and um, they did a, there's a couple of things that I like. Well, first, they have Manhattan kits, kits, and I said, can you put our bottle in there, and then I'll pay extra for it, because I know it's more expensive, and I did. But they had a, they changed their menu. So their menu was... That which will tr I think will travel well and mm -hmm. is easier to prepare um, I, for them. I think you know they cut out some things that I think would be you know really time sensitive to when you eat it. Also that that just sort of be quicker turn in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. So I think they did a really good job of that, and they, it's very well organized. So you drive up, they greet you. Um, it's all prepaid, um, you know, whatever that touchless curbside. Um, and then yep. they bring it out and they're in masks and gloves, which I really appreciate because yes. there's a lot of, you see a lot of people not doing that at this I'm point. A ton of people. And that's why I am floored by, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, as much work as we're putting into it and yeah, I mean, I, I bet 90% of the people we see in a day aren't bothering no mask, no nothing. You know, we're, we're pretty <laughs> anal about our cleanliness as it is. So like, you know, it was a pretty easy transition for, for our restaurants, but. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. We had a yeah. We had this thing recently where um, where um, we we my, our, our whole economics and funding stuff is all is, is really great. And, uh, and one really great local investor that I became really good friends with. And so we had a conversation with a bank about something, and they wanted to come in. I'm like, Are you fucking kidding? Yeah. He said, I, know, I, said no. I said no. I said no. But first of all. No, <laughs> Secondly, nobody comes in there. Yeah. It's, it's, it is, it is completely like we adhere to the worst thing we could do is have a problem. Mm -hmm. So just, right. it's no tolerance of letting anybody in. Everybody is, you know, social distances and, you know, you know, we just, we, um, we had sanitizers everywhere and my wife just got those, um, like Captain Hook things. Oh yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, we've got my a ton around here. You know, it's funny because uh, we just we spent the fall in Bangkok. Um, we remodeled one of our restaurants, and so I was like, "Well, we're never going to get this opportunity again. Let's just leave." Um, and we should have stayed because the number of cases in Thailand um, yeah. there have been fifty nine deaths total, total because they immediately jumped on it. You know, on testing masks. I mean, that's what I was getting at is like in the fall, it's, it wasn't odd to jump on to the, the, you know, the subway or the train and everybody's wearing a mask, you know, but here everybody's like, you tell them to wear it and everybody wants to throw a hissy fit and it's like, but it's for your health. I'm fine. I'm 45. Like you're 80. You should want to wear it. You know, when did that, when did, when did trying to protect yourself and other people become 
a fucking second amendment thing. Man, I don't know, but I think it's real fucking ironic that like the protection on your hip applies, but the protection on your face doesn't, you know, like it makes no damn sense to me at all. And I'll tell you what, I was like a kid in the candy store coming down here. I grew up in Massachusetts and we had a house in Hampshire. So I, I, I grew up with around guns and, and then I live in New York, which is like, Zero talk. Right. I came down here and I'm like, wait a minute, you just go, you can go into Cabela's and buy guns? <laughs> yeah. And take it home? I mean, what? So, uh, but that's a whole different, that's, I have Yeah, I mean, that. the politics are definitely, that's, that's a shock to go from, you know, New England to Kentucky, you know, where there's still dry counties, right? I mean, you know, that's wild. It, it's, it's, I always forget about that. And then I drive through, I'm like, oh my God, how is this even a thing still? But, you know, hey, Indiana, we've only been allowed to buy alcohol on a Sunday from a liquor store for two years. That's it. Two years. <laughs> I, it's, it's just, it's just mind boggling. But, but back to this whole thing, I, you know, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't see how I don't see how it plays out. I, I really you don't know who to believe. You don't know. Yeah, I, mean, I know. If you, if you just if you I just we just try to apply the common sense thing, which is mm-hmm. it's a virus. Yeah. You know, it's a highly contagious virus. So don't do stuff like that. I mean, worst case scenario. Hey, we're all wrong and we were <laughs> overprotective. Cool. Yeah. I'll take yeah. that. You know, as long as I didn't get sick in the process, I don't care. I can yeah. live with a mask on. I don't, I don't love it either, but I mean, it certainly keeps me safe. And like yeah. I said, I've got like, in fact, my phone just rang. My parents just arrived for dinner. Um, they live in the next neighborhood over. And so, um, you know, this is the first time I've seen them in two and a half months. Um, because, oh, because, kidding. because I see, um, I see a lot of people every day, you know, I don't know who I've been exposed to. So, you know, mm. I know that I'm likely to make it through my dad's diabetic. And so, and he's on insulin. So that, that is a concern, Purpose. you know, is that I, I mean, I could carry it and be fine, but he may not be. And so yeah. we've made sure that, you know, we were before and even still today, this, like I said, this is the first time since this all started. But um, I'm definitely going to hit you, touch base with you um, again. You're doing a lot of things that I, I have. I'm glad I didn't at the time, but uh, that I was considering doing uh, several years ago, um, kind of in the rum direction that you were doing. But, you know, I hold retail licenses, which prevents me from doing that. So a big decision had to be made. um, And we had just opened the Tiki Bar. So I'm like, we'll just put this on the back burner until I get a little bit older. And we'll make a decision whether or not that's the right path for myself and my wife. Now, who knows what the hell the path is? You know, who knows if my restaurants will exist in a year? You know, it's it's tough selling. So, but yeah, yeah, definitely. I'd love to pick your brain one day. By the way, we do quarterly... um well, we did right. quarterly hosting events. We bring down distributors and key retailers and and people, and they we do it's 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 single barrel selection. Right, you know, you're right? with Crossroad in Indiana, right? Yes, that's what I thought. They're, they're the best in in town. I mean, they care about it. They hand sell, like mm-hmm. they do their job. I'm, I know BK pretty well, and uh, mm-hmm. actually, he's been on the show. And right here, he actually came to my house. Most people don't get invited to my house, but <laughs> Bill, Bill came over. <laughs> I mean, let's come, once we get things, so once things, you know, whatever, get ever to whatever point that's equilibrium, um, just come on down and visit. And I'll come up and see your restaurants. Well, yeah, for sure, man. It's so close. I know it. Well, I'm going to go cook some dinner. So uh, okay. it was good chatting with you. Thanks for coming, you know, on the show Thanks and, and getting, you know, coming home from work to, to do it. So. Online, people can find you at BarrelBourbon.com, is that right? Um, or is it Barrel Spirits? It's BarrelBourbon.com or BarrelCraft Spirits. They both go to the same place. Gotcha. Excellent. And that's um, two R's, two, two L's, L's for those of you who don't know how to spell barrel. <laughs> so. 
Excellent, Joe. Thank you very much. Have a great evening. I appreciate you. you coming on the show. We'll talk to you again soon. Hope so. Thank you.